Psalm 38. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with seething pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I am like a deaf man who cannot hear. Like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, Do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies, Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Saviour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm an army chaplain, uh, and so some of my illustrations come from that kind of thing. I'm based down in, um, in Worthy Down, near Winchester at the moment, and it's, um, well, Worthy Down is a, a tri-service, Royal Air Force, Royal Navy and Army um, establishment where we train uh, logisticians, chefs and uh, clerks, and that's essentially uh, what we do. Uh, so let me tell you about David. Not his real name, it's just uh, the psalm was written by David, so I might as well name this guy after him. David came along to Cafe Church, it's the little church service we do for our, um, our trainees. He's a Royal Navy trainee chef, and when everyone else left, he stayed behind. And he says, Bish, that's what Royal Navy people call their padres, the army call us padre, the Air Force called them sir, <laughs> for some strange reason, and... Um, the Navy call us Bish. Bish, she says, I need forgiveness. And then with tears in his eyes, he started telling me about his life. He used to go to church with his gran. He had had a, a very good Christian girlfriend. I said, so you're not with that girl anymore? And he said, no, it's on and off. She's why I need forgiveness. 
And my mind is, is possibly going where you're going at the moment. He's got her pregnant, that's what I'm thinking. And after the pause, he said, it's off at the moment. But I want her back. So I said, what's the problem? And now he's really crying. He's a big guy, by the way, and he's crying his eyes out. That's why I need forgiveness. I kept sleeping with other girls. That's why it's off at the moment. And it's bad, Padre. I'm not sleeping properly. This is my first time in a Christian meeting for a long time. I've just not been able to face God. I've strayed. I want to come back, and I want her back. Psalm 38 was written by someone who felt convicted of sin. In order to help us when we feel convicted of sin. Now the heading you've got in, in uh, your Bible, um, I think it says a petition. Um, the Bible I was using, it's got to bring to remembrance a psalm of memorial. And it looks like David has fallen morally in a major way. And he feels like God has left him under the conviction of sin to wallow in it. And from David's point of view, it seems like God has forgotten him. And the psalm is saying, hey, Lord, remember me. It's like the, the plea from the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the psalmist would agree with that thief's conclusion. Because the thief uh, turned to the other thief on the cross and he said, we are getting what we deserve. The psalmist would agree with that. He's getting what he deserves. Now what use is this psalm to us? Well, as you look at verses 1 through to 4, maybe, maybe that's you at the moment. For some of us, right now, our, our consciences, they're screaming at us. We know we've fallen morally, and it's affecting us right to the core of our being now. For all of us, this is where we could well be sometime in the future. And if you're sitting there thinking, no, no, that will never be me, I will never make such a huge moral fall, beware. Because you're very close to being the next person. But this is not just about the major moral falls. It also applies to the normal, everyday sinfulness. We fail the Lord. Don't we? Even when we're trying to do our very best to please him. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the longer we walk with God, the more conscious we become of our sinfulness. And as Christians, therefore, we will end each day confessing our sins to him. The other way I hope this psalm will help us is how we help our fellow Christians when they are under the conviction of sin. I mean, look at verse 11 there. I find it, my friends and companions, they avoid me because of my wounds. They're no help at all. They just leave David to struggle on by himself. This is not how God intends his church to be. So let's look at this psalm. And the first heading I've got here is, Lord, you are hurting me, verses 1 to 8. David is very conscious of his sin, verse 3. It's there, verse 4. In fact, it's all the way through the psalm. In verse 5, he says it's because of his foolishness, or in our versions, his, his folly. And in the book of Proverbs, 
folly, foolishness has got the idea of willfully, of consciously ignoring God. Lord, I've been an idiot, a fool. He's aware of his sin. But he's also aware of what God thinks of his sin. He's conscious of the Lord's anger and wrath. And this is affecting him physically. He's got some kind of skin complaint, but the physical effects go right to the core of his being. He feels weak. His bones are affected. He's bowed down. He's being affected physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, So when you have a cold, it doesn't just affect you physically. The sneezing. You feel down. Maybe some men don't even get out of bed. They've got the flu. And when you suffer spiritually, it's going to affect you in other ways, physically, mentally, emotionally. We can't separate out the different aspects of our being. That's what that Royal Navy trainee was finding out. It was affecting his sleep. Now we need to be careful. Jesus warns us against assuming that all sickness and suffering must be the direct result of sin. Sometimes it is though. The rise in STIs. I would assume much of that is due to a lifestyle which goes against how God wants us to live. Sometimes sickness is the direct result of sin. But not always. But in this case, David is recognising that it is. Because of his sin, God is angry and the psalmist's health suffers. But there's something more to it. If it was simply, I sin, God is angry, he makes me suffer, then it means God is punishing me. But the psalmist says very plainly, verse 1, this is not about punishment. It's rebuke. It's discipline. I don't want that either, by the way. But discipline speaks of a completely different relationship with God. This is more like a parent disciplining a child. David is not a wicked man being punished, but a righteous man. He's got a relationship with God, but a righteous man who has sinned. And the purpose of the rebuke and the discipline is to bring him back to his senses. And God is teaching him that sin matters. It's not simply about saying, sorry, that quick confession, a few Hail Marys, and off you go. Sin matters, and he wants David to learn that. He wants David to know the seriousness of sin and to grow spiritually through this experience. But David's feeling the weight of it. I've had enough of that now, Lord. Don't rebuke me anymore in your anger. You can stop now. I've learned the lesson. But we've got to realise only God knows when the lesson's truly been learnt. Sometimes he leaves us under that conviction of sin for longer than we might feel comfortable because he wants us to learn it and learn it well. Lord, you are hurting me. But secondly, Lord, you know me. Verse 9. C.S. Lewis said, I think it's in his book, The Problem of Pain, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Um, Just in passing, we might wonder what God is trying to get through to us in the world at the moment. I don't know how much louder he's got to raise his voice before we turn back to him, but anyway, that's just in passing. David is not liking the discipline, verse 1. But he knows the Lord knows him and sees his longings. Proverbs chapter 3 My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Discipline 
is not the opposite of love. Discipline is a part of love. It's all part of that same equation. So when our boys were young, if they did something wrong, they would be disciplined. Sent to the naughty step. No TV. Sometimes, and you wouldn't get away with this anymore, but sometimes even a smack. They possibly didn't feel I was being loving towards them at the time. I took no pleasure out of it. In fact, sometimes discipline is more costly to the giver than to the receiver. But the most unloving thing I could do would be to turn a blind eye to their wrongdoing and to let them think that sin and doing wrong doesn't matter. So don't misinterpret God's discipline as meaning he doesn't care for you. He does. He knows you. He feels your pain with you. We'll see that in a few minutes. Which is more can be said for David's friends, verse 11. They thought they had to show their disapproval at what he had done. Stand in judgment so he knew what they thought. Have you had people do that to you? You know you've done wrong. They know you know you've done wrong. But they're going to rub your face in it to make sure you know you've done wrong. If a fellow Christian is under conviction of sin, they do not need you to say anything about the badness or the foolishness of what they've done. They don't need you to rub their noses in it because the Lord is teaching them far more deeply than you or I will ever teach them. They need you to love them. They need you to reassure them that there is forgiveness. Even a major moral fall does not mean that you are no longer a Christian. Maybe these friends backed off because it was easier. There was no risk of catching whatever it was that David had. Maybe they just didn't want to get involved in the time-consuming business of helping someone who was down and out. Self-protection says, don't get involved. Simply ask how they are and move on. Anyway, with friends like that, you think who needs enemies? But um, verses 12 and 19, we see David's got them as well. Now, Psalm 38 doesn't tell us exactly what David has actually done. But it's possible. It's possible. The background is when he committed um, adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, for those of you who don't know the story, she takes a bath on her roof, as you did in those days, and he's looking out of his window with his binos, and he spies her from his castle, and he thinks, cool, I'll have some of that. So he does. He invites her to his bedchamber, and the result is she gets pregnant. The trouble is she was already married. Her husband was away fighting David's war. He was in the army. Uh, You can read it all. Um, But anyway, in the end, it ends up with David orchestrating her husband's death to cover up his sin. And then he took Bathsheba as one of his wives. And as part of the discipline, the Lord allows David's family life to spiral down until at the very lowest point, his son Absalom tries to take the throne from David. And verse 12 uh, seems to fit in with all of that. But how does David respond? Verse 13 and 14. He doesn't say, you hit me when I'm down and I'll hit you back. He doesn't argue with his friends or or enemies and try to put a positive spin on what he's done. He doesn't do a Trump or a Boris. He simply puts his situation into the Lord's hands. That's the third point. Lord, you hear me. David is still praying. And he's confident that God will hear and he will answer. He knows even though he feels far from God, God is not far from him. So here's the third thing. Even 
when you know you've sinned. Don't give up praying. God hears. And more than that, God saves. Because that's the fourth point. Lord, you save me. And I don't know if you've noticed this. It doesn't show very clearly in the English. God is addressed as Yahweh in verses 1 and 15. We translate that as Lord. In verse 9, he is addressed as Adonai. We translate that as Lord as well. Verse 15, he's called Elohim, God. But then at the very end, we have this. My Lord and my Saviour. And the thing is, how is David so confident that even after this great moral fall, God is going to save him? And I think the answer is, David knows God's heart. 1 Samuel 13, and again in Acts chapter 13, it says, God says of David that David is a man after my own heart. And here's what I want us to see as we end. What David knew, we should know even more. See, whether David knew this or not, this psalm is pointing us forward. It's a prophetic message pointing us to Jesus. Who else felt forsaken by God? Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, it was not his sin. He was bearing my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. But under the weight of sin, Jesus knew the separation and the judgment of his father. Who else found his friends would have no help? In fact, they deserted him. Who else found his enemies tried to kick him when he was down? As he hung there on the cross, they taunted him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Come down off the cross and we'll believe you. Who else remained silent and did not say a word in his own defence? And yet, despite all of that, Jesus prays. He cries out to God. He asks God to forgive his persecutors. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he dies, he entrusts himself to God the Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We've got all of that. We know about Jesus' death on the cross for my sin. We know the very heart of God more than David did. And that should give us confidence. That even when we fall, even a massive moral failure... Even when we feel the conviction of sin weighing heavily upon us, we can be confident that we have are saved through Jesus. By the way, if you're not yet a Christian, thank you for being here. But you can have that same confidence. It's all about Jesus. And if you want that confidence, talk to someone who is a Christian. After the service, they should be able to show you how. And David by the way, knows it's not about how loudly he makes his confession. It's not about how sincere he is in his confession. I don't know if you remember the, the bit in Wind in the Willows. Toad has been caught speeding and he's in prison, feeling sorry for himself. Anyway, he gets out of prison and Badger gives him a stern talking to and then brings him to Ratty and Mole and Badger says, there's only one more thing to be done. Toad I want you to solemnly repeat before your friends here what you fully admitted to me in the smoking room just now. First, you are sorry for what you've done, and you see the folly of it all. And there is a long, long pause. And Toad looked desperately this way and that, while the other animals waited in grave silence. And at last he spoke. 
No, he said, I'm not sorry. And it wasn't folly at all. It was simply glorious. David meant his confession. He was troubled. Verse 18, distressed. He was beginning to see his sin as God saw it. And he's not just sorry because he's been caught out. He's sorry and he wants to turn away from it. This is about repentance. But it's not about our sincerity. God doesn't forgive us because we are sorry. That's not the basis on which we come. We come on the basis of the cross. Hebrews chapter 11. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's it. By his death, which paid for all of our sins, past and present, including the ones you are most appalled about, and the ones in the future which you might be even more appalled about and you think are unforgivable. Even when we feel his discipline, we come to a God who knows us, a God who hears us, a God who has saved us, so we can be confident in him. Don't give up praying. Amen.